Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. singing behind us. Man, oh man, oh man. It, mm, uh, and at the risk of sounding, you know, I, I, a lot of things I don't say that's on my mind because some of them are ridiculous, but I don't want to sound like a trite old preacher, but when I'm standing down here hearing y'all sing, when he first started singing, there really was tears. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal to have you back in this room and for us to be together as the body of Christ. The, the flowers here, we actually aren't the first to come back. Yesterday we had Daryl Skidmore. For those of you who may not know exactly who I'm talking about, if you ever saw a guy sitting on that very back row uh, in an electric wheelchair, that was Daryl Skidmore. He passed away on, on May the 13th. And we did his memorial service yesterday, so uh, we were all in here together. There were probably about 50 of us that came for that, and it was kind of a dry run for today to see where the problems might be, but everything went very, very well, and it was a pretty service. And Janet wanted to leave the flowers here uh, in honor, in memory of Daryl, and so that we could enjoy the beauty of the flowers, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, I want to use a word today that's going to be offensive to some of you, so uh, just get ready. The word is unprecedented. Don't that word make make your stomach turn? I have heard the word unprecedented so many times that if you say it to me, I am liable to hurt you. I am tired of hearing unprecedented. You know that you can use a word too many times until it becomes virtually meaningless, and that word has been used over and over and over again. Do any of y'all need to be reminded that we've never gone through anything like this before? Do any of you need to sit down and have a little discussion so that I can tell you that, no, in the history of time, not in the history of my life, in the history of time, we've never gone through anything like this before, and probably... The most troubling part of all of this thing for me has been that I I don't know who to trust. I don't know who, you know, we started out with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and they they told us all of this stuff. You know, y'all remember in the beginning when all of this started, I was standing out in Ms. Collins' backyard. We were, uh, they had some things that they were cleaning up and Luke and I were going to salvage a couple of pieces of of metal because he's trying to do a blacksmith thing among all the other things that Luke tries to do. And we were out in her backyard and I get a phone call that says that the good governor of the state of Georgia said, you know what guys, y'all don't need to go to church tomorrow on a Saturday. And so, okay, got on the phone to Renee and I said, is this true? And she says, yep. So I go online on my phone, and sure as shooting, there's the governor saying, y'all don't need to go to church tomorrow. And in less than 24 hours, Logan learned how to live stream, and there we were the next morning telling all y'all, don't come, don't come, because if you come, you will die. 
We did, right? Remember, 1.5 million to 2 million people were supposed to die because of this thing. Everything, everybody over the age of 65, you're done. You're going to croak. You're out of here. And all of your sweet little precious children are all super spreaders who are going to, whose very kiss to granny is literally going to be the kiss of death. Guaranteed. Masks, masks. The only mask that's going to help you is an N95. Y'all remember that? And you can't have an N95 because Dr. Holder and Dr. Mix and all the other doctors and nurses that are in our church and in our community, they had to have the N95s and there weren't enough to go around, so you're just going to have to suck it up and die. Isn't that what we heard? We don't have enough respirators, we don't have enough hospitals, we don't have enough doctors, we don't have enough nurses, we don't have enough toilet paper. You've got to go into hiding people, literally stop life like you've lived it all of your lives to flatten the curve. Y'all remember that phrase, right? Flatten the curve? Not that you're not going to get it because you're all going to get it. We just want you to get it like Presbyterians, decently and in order, so that we can make sure that when you go to the hospital, there will be a ventilator later there and there will be a doctor and maybe we can save your life but for 1.5 to 2 million of her you're going to die and now we're here and 100,000 people have died and that's a lot of folks that's a lot of folks but when you compare it to other diseases it's higher but it's not like insanely higher we found out that our little munchkins are not viral super spreaders. Most of them don't even get it. A few do, and they tried to scare us to death for a little while that those few that got it, some of them would get these awful complications and all of that, but as many kids will get hurt seriously on trampolines this year as gets hurt by this. Masks have become a political football. Those who feel that they need to wear them should wear them. Those that feel that they don't need to don't need to wear them, but if you watch the news, good guys wear masks. When I was raised, the bad guys wore masks. But good guys wear masks, and the bad guys are the ones who walk around without it. So, Matt, you're a good guy. And here I am. We've got plenty of medical capacity now, and I'm not saying anything. If you feel like you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. We had a lady from Atlanta yesterday wearing a mask. I was very grateful because she was from Atlanta, and you just get Atlanta cooties, and that's bad enough. We've got all kinds of medical capacity now. It's entirely possible that the virus is dying off. I watched a scientist the other day who said that uh, it was morphing so that it wasn't as virulent, so that maybe it won't be so bad. In the face of these realities, some places were still encouraged, mandated. Y'all need to keep hiding. Now, lest you think that I'm not taking this seriously, let me say this about that. I am, as I suspect most of you are, confused. I have never made so many decisions in my life not knowing if the inputs that I was getting was true or not true. We did the best we can. Chuck Gibson text, text Chuck, 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 Chuck and I were texting back and forth, and he said, it is so hard to plan for the unknown. So you don't know what's going to happen. So I'm as confused as everybody else. The question that I keep asking is, is what is the truth and what are the rules? What are the rules that we should be following? But then the more I thought about it, because y'all know how my mind works, the more I thought about it, I thought that is not an insane question. That's not an unusual question. Ever since birth, we ask ourselves that question. What rules are we supposed to follow? 
when we're children, am I going to follow mommy and daddy's rules? Or am I going to do my own thing? <laughs> I saw a daddy and a kid on the head. Am I going to follow my own rules or am I going to do my own thing? As you get older, if you bump into the church, are we going to follow the rules of the church or are we going to do our own thing? When we become a Christian, then we have to wake up every morning because Jesus said what? Carry your cross daily, right? Take up your cross daily. So every day you wake up and the question that we have to ask ourselves every morning is simply this, am I going to follow Jesus' rules today or am I not? We've been asking that question forever. I bring all of that up to get to this. We get to choose our behavior. We do not get to choose our consequences. We get to choose our behavior. We do not get to choose our consequences. We're in the book of Joel. It's going to be five total sermons in the book of Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, please do not be ashamed that you have trouble finding the book of Joel. The book of Joel in my, book, in my Bible is four pages. That's two pages front and back. Open your Bible to the middle. Start scrolling to the back. When you see Ezekiel, start slowing down. Then you're going to see uh, Daniel and Hosea, and then there is Joel. Short, four pages. But we started with Joel in our end of days series that we're going to be doing for a long, long time, because in Joel, there is one sentence that that is used constantly, that is a big deal in the scripture. And that sentence is, the day of the Lord is the day when you have, nope, that's wrong. That sentence is, uh, the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is that day when you have chosen your behavior and the consequences come. So if you're a note taker, there's your big point right there. The day of the Lord, when the Lord comes, the day of the Lord is when you have chosen your behavior and now the consequences come. All of chapter 1 deals with the natural disasters that happened to Jerusalem and the surrounding areas in the 7th century before Christ. You've, you've heard of plagues of locusts. They didn't have just one plague of locusts. They had four back to back to back to back. Now, we don't know if they were all four in one season or if they were four over four years or maybe four over a decade. But the locusts came enough that it kept their crops wiped out and there was no food for them to eat. After the locusts left... Then they had drought for years. Y'all know what drought's like. We've had them in Georgia before. Your grass turns brown and it looks awful, but the good part is you don't have to cut it because it's dead. And then after that, a fire comes and everything that's brown burns absolutely to the ground. There is absolutely nothing left. That sounds pretty bad. And in the midst of that, Joel drops this bomb on them. He says, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction for the Almighty, it comes. For the day of the Lord is near, and destruction for the Almighty is comes. Joel's claim is this, the people got fat, dumb, and happy. They just got fat, dumb, and happy. The, God, the Lord blessed them, and blessed them, and blessed them, and blessed them, and they had so many blessings, and they enjoyed those blessings so long that they started thinking, I'm telling you, the parallels between this and modern-day life scare me to death because they got to thinking after a period of time that, you know what? Look what we did. Look what we've done. Look how good things are. We worked so hard. We hadn't worked. We wouldn't have it. 
And now we have all this stuff. Look what we've created, how smart we are. We're going to whip this virus. Everything's going to be great. We've got remdesivir. We've got hydrochloroquine. We've got all of these things. Woo, life is, we have done it. That's exactly what they had done. That's exactly what they do. Well, they got to choose their behavior, but they don't get to choose the consequences. Joel 2, 1 through 10. Y'all read along with me. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Y'all are lucky Luke had to work today because he has a shofar. And I was going to get him to blow the shofar when I said blow a trumpet. And then watch half of you drop dead from fear because of the sound. But yeah, the Lord, Lord looks out for me. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The line, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. With, as with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the top of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn into Babel. Before the peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale. Like, the, like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapon. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the cities. They run upon the walls. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens rumble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. It's been so long since y'all have been here. It is so much fun to have people to play with. Y'all play along with me today. In, in your mind, you know, I see in, I see in pictures, that's, that's how I make thoughts work for me. It's how I learn is I have the pictures in my head of these things. And I want you to see this would make the perfect movie. The, the way he's describing what he's seeing here. Now, and, and see if you can see, see if you can see this in your, in your mind's eye. They have, everything's been wiped out. The only way they can get food in Jerusalem is to import it from somewhere else. That's key to understand this text. For, for what we're going to do for later on, that the only way they can get food is to bring it in from somewhere else. They can't raise their own. It's been wiped out. They've got to import it from somewhere else. The city of Jerusalem had high walls erected all the way around it for defense, big walls that sentries could walk on the top of. And the sentries would walk on top of the doors day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, looking for anything that could attack the city. Their job was to protect the city. One night, it's very, very dark. Here's the picture, get in your mind's eye. One night, it's very, very dark, no moon probably. Guy's looking out in the distance. He thinks he sees something. Now, if y'all have gone to the beach, and I've done this probably twice in my life. We always talk about getting up before the sun comes up so that we can see the sun come up over the ocean. And most times I just decide I'll take a picture off of television. I don't need to get up that early unless you're Chris Towers. He gets up at four o'clock every day anyway, so it don't matter. But, but most of us normal or school teachers, school teachers get up and see the sun coming up all the time. But anyway, to the point, as the sun comes up, y'all know that, the, that it plays tricks on your eyes. 
as, as, as the darkness just slowly goes away and the light starts coming in, you think you see things, but then later you find out those things are something else. So, so as, as the sentry is looking off into the distance, he sees what looks like a cloud coming. And he goes, oh my Lord, it's, it's more locusts. It's another, it's another plague of locusts that's coming. And he calls over another group of, of sentries. Y'all look, y'all look. And they all look off in the distance and they see it. But as the sun keeps coming up, they notice that, that this, isn't, this isn't a swarm of locusts. This is, this is a cloud of dust. This is a cloud of dust coming. And all of those things that we saw moving inside, inside that cloud of dust are starting slowly to coalesce, to morph into what they really are. And they see hundreds and hundreds of horsemen coming from the north, because they always got invaded from the north. There's a geographical reason we're not going to all that. Coming from the north to invade them. All they've got to do is surround the city and don't let the food come in. And that's exactly what they did. Surrounded the city to keep the food from coming in. Now, could they have stopped that? Well, yeah, they could have. After the first six plagues, God told them, God said to them, to call a sacred assembly. How exactly did he put it? Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. That's what he told them to do. I kind of believe that they did. But they did what they always did. They came to church the way they always came to church. They prayed like they always prayed. They did everything that they always did because that's good enough. That's what God wants is us to do these things. And so they just did what they normally did and they didn't do what God wanted them to do. So time sort of ticks by. And a hundred years after Joel said this, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in from the north he surrounded Jerusalem. This is a history lesson, I know, but y'all stay with me. It's, it, it works. He surrounds Jerusalem, and he sits there. The food runs out. I've read the history surrounding this. If there weren't young children in here, I would tell y'all what they did to stay alive. You would be horrified what they did. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar broke through the walls. When he woke, broke through the walls, he took everybody into slavery. The ones he didn't kill, he took into slavery. The poorest of the poor, he didn't take them because he didn't care about them. They're going to die on their own. But what he did to, to King Hezekiah, Zedekiah, I always get my Kaias mixed up. Zedekiah, what he did to Zedekiah was this, y'all think. He lined all of his sons up in a row and he made... Zedekiah, get it right, Randy. He made Zedekiah stand there and watch, and they killed each one of his sons. And when he got to the last son, as they run the spear through him, and his son lay dying on the ground, they poked out Zedekiah's eyes so that the last thing he would ever remember visually was his son dying in a pool of blood. That's some heavy Old Testament junk there, ain't it? Thank God that the Old Testament doesn't apply. 
Y'all, man, whoever came up with that's craziness. Book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy was written 700 years before Joel, about 800 years before this happened. God speaks through Moses to his people, and he says this. Maybe y'all's minds don't work like mine. I bet they do. Listen to the scripture. They shall besiege you in all of your towns. They shall besiege you in all of your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. They shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given to you. See, we can choose our behavior, but we can't choose our consequences. Over and over in the scripture, we read that God is a jealous God. He blesses his people with blessing upon blessing upon blessing because he loves us. But when we turn our backs on him, he will do what he promised to do to bring us back. Do you understand? He will do what he promised to do to bring us back to him. God says in Deuteronomy that if you keep on doing these things, that you keep on walking away from him, even though you call yourself by his name, if you keep on walking away from him, you keep on ignoring him, you expect consequences to happen. Expect the consequences to happen, he says. Let's keep going. Verse 11, the Lord utters his voice before his army for his His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. I want you to notice something. Y'all have got to understand this. You've got to understand this. This is what God gives us for wisdom to understand. Whose army is out there? Nebuchadnezzar's army is out there. Are they godly people? No, they're a godless pagan horde. They don't care about God. They hate God. They don't believe that there's a God out there. They've got their own things that they believe. Whose army do they belong? Who is that army? Is that Satan's army? It's God's army. Who owns their camps? It says it's God's camps. Whose powerful word sets them in motion against the people of Israel? God's word sets them in motion. Y'all understand this. Understand this as, as you vote. Understand this as you live your life every day. That God will use whomever he chooses to use, period. Because God is sovereign. You hear Joel's meaning? He says, God is the Lord, even of the pagans. God is the Lord over all creation, over everything. So judgment cuts both ways. It not only cuts against the pagans, but God isn't to be taken for granted by his people. If we are his followers, we're to follow him. And if we choose to forget him, and it is a choice when we do that, the second part of verse 11 kicks in. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Who can endure God coming and them not following him? Now, I, be, I try to be very careful when I preach the Old Testament text to not apply these things to the specific, the things that are specific to the nation of Israel to the United States of America. It's wrong to do that. As much as we love America, America is not the promised land. 
All the promises that God made to Israel aren't promises that he made to America, but a number of promises that God made to Israel apply to the new Israel. And who is the new Israel? We are the church. It applies to us. But we've been conditioned in America. We've been conditioned to believe that God is always pleased with us. That God is always happy with his people. Just watch and listen. You'll hear people say that. But if you let, have you read, you will read eventually because we'll get there. Have you read the letters to the seven churches in Revelation? If I remember correctly, I didn't go back and read them all for this because I thought I'm smart enough to remember this. God had something against six of the seven churches. God, God notices our choices. God is not ignorantly leaning back, snickering like a proud granddaddy at his mischievous, sassy children, grandchildren. He knows better. He knows when we drift away from him. He knows when we drift away. Listen, he doesn't care about the rules. What he cares about is the fact that when we drift away from him, we are now in mortal danger. That's what he cares about. When you see your child playing in the street, do you get mad because they're not following the rules or are you terrified because your child might get killed? Our father is the same way. When he sees us making choices outside of the way he set things up, he knows that bad things will happen to us when we drift away from our father. You can choose your behavior. You cannot choose your consequences. Verses 12 through 17, y'all follow along. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their gods? Where is their God? Where is their God? When, business, when, when government started closing businesses to limit our exposure to the coronavirus, the government deemed some businesses essential and, non, and others non-essential. They deemed as essential liquor stores, pot stores, and abortion clinics, and they ruled as non-essential churches. It wasn't that long ago that 9-11 happened, 19 years ago that 9-11 happened, and everybody in the country, you couldn't find a seat in church. It was packed wall to wall when that happened. What happened? Now, now we are non-essential. What happened to us? 
People look today, one of the playbooks of the radicals that are out around the world doing the things that they're doing right now, one of the things in their playbook is to get rid of God. They're saying, where is God? Where is your God? So powerful, where is your God? I posted on Facebook yesterday about our service being full and a gentleman, and and I posted on the real Jones Countyans and this gentleman comes in and he says that, you know what, you folks ain't got no faith. Where is your God? This holy man said. So what they're saying, where is your God? We have allowed, God's people have allowed the rest of the world to say, where is their God? Will we ever be essential again? Will we ever be essential again? This isn't what you wanted when you came today, is it? It really has a good ending. Will we ever be essential again? How do we get to be essential again? Scripture tells us to repent. To return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. You hear what God's saying? He says, I want you to come back. You people, you people are in danger. My children are in danger. Come back. Your children, this is what he's saying, your children and your children's children will suffer unimaginable pain because of the decisions that you are making, the choices that you're making. I want you to come back. I want you to be safe. Come home. And I love the phrase here, he relents over disaster. That does not mean that God changes his mind. What that means is simply this. He has a plan in place from the foundation of the world of what what he will do when his people repent. That's what he relents. He puts that plan into motion when his people repent. Verse 14 says, Verse 14 says, who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. I have never heard anybody preach this in in my life. I've never had someone say this to me. That if I turned to the Lord and I'd say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, that the Lord may not forgive me. What do you mean he may not forgive me? Because of the attitude of our hearts. If we turn to him and just say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned, and we go back out and live and do whatever we've done before, you aren't forgiven? He says, he says, who knows whether he will turn and and, and relent. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. That doesn't sound like somebody just saying... Sorry, Jesus. When I was a little boy, I wasn't going to say this. I cut this out of this, but I can't stand it because I got to tell on myself. When I was a little boy, about y'all's age, well, I learned a cuss word. I learned a cuss word. And I taught that cuss word to my best friend. And he taught it to our other friends. And we had us a cuss word. And we would go all, all day long and we would do something. And when we'd do something, we'd say that cuss word because it made us cool. And so we'd say the cuss word, but we knew it was wrong. And you know what we did? Every time we'd go, sorry, Lord. Little boys, say the cuss word, sorry, Lord. And the Lord sent at us in heaven and going, one day <laughs> I'm going to slap you. Lord, have mercy. That's what he's saying. He's looking for a devoted heart. 
He's saying, guys, sound, sound the air raid siren. Sound the shofar. Call everybody in. Get the babies in the house. Get the people that just got married in the house. Stop everything you're doing like you got coronavirus. No matter how important it is, you focus for a minute. Don't presume on God. We don't control him. We do not control the Lord. We can choose our behavior. We cannot choose our consequences. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Guys, I believe with all of my heart, you can disagree with me, but I think I'm right on this. Our nation is trouble because the church is in trouble. For many, many years, our churches have followed the pattern of Mike Lindell of my pillow fame. That we walk around and we tell everybody from the pulpits, sleep well, America. It's all good. God loves you. He wants you to be happy, happy, happy. Name it and claim it, boys and girls. If you believe it, you can have it. It's all yours. Just sleep well. It's all good. We tell everybody that, that God loves you. God loves you. He wants you to be happy. We are the land of the free, the home of the brave. God bless America. God bless the USA. God shed his grace on thee. We are a Christian nation. We got ticked at Barack Obama when he went overseas and said that we are not a Christian nation. Woo, did we get our panties in a wad that day. Heavens to Betsy. In God we trust. And yet have you looked around, have you looked around and seen what is happening in not even major cities anymore, smaller cities in America right now. Is that God shedding his grace on thee? Is it? Or is it just a consequence of a man getting killed? If you believe that, Lord, have mercy on your soul. We have to, re we have to repent individually, not tip our hat to God and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned but weep and fast and mourn and rend our hearts, lay in bed at night with tears in our eyes sometimes praying, Lord, I am ashamed. I don't even know the depths of my own depravity. If you will not forgive me, I will be lost and I don't want to be lost. Lord, I am sorry that Jesus had to die for my sins. I am so grateful you raised him to life and made it so I could be saved. I repent and I throw myself on your mercy. I will follow you wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. And then we have to repent as a church body. We've drift, drifted away from the word of God. We've taught things to tickle people's ears. We have stood and condemned so many behaviors. And y'all, I should have gone back. I should have done a little bit more homework than what I did and looked back at all of the resolutions in the Southern Baptist Convention and all the things that we've condemned. We just condemned racism, God bless us. We condemned slavery back in the 90s because that, they condemned slavery the same day I had to do a redneck funeral. And so I had to sit at the redneck funeral and, and defend the Southern Baptist Convention. We have, we have condemned same-sex marriage. We have condemned homosexuality. We have condemned drinking. We have condemned smoking. We have condemned everything in the entire planet. We are so good at condemnation, and yet we've failed to follow the very basic things that Jesus said to do. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of them all? They tried to trap him. What's the greatest commandment of them all? Come on, big boy. Tell me. Tell me what's the greatest. 
And Jesus replied to him and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the killer, folks. You cannot do the first without doing the second. John is so very plain. He says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Say it out loud. He's a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he can see can't love God whom he hasn't seen. So let's, let's leave it here. Let's leave it here. Our nation, when I wrote this, which was, well, I don't know, last Friday when I wrote this, I have edited this with the help of the staff and their spouses about four times now because I wanted to make sure I wasn't misunderstood. As I, as I wrote this, our nation was in flames. Anarchists were rioting in the street, destroying people's livelihoods, and in some places have died. Ten people have died now that they tell us about. The door opened for these anarchists when a black man died while being arrested by a white officer. We saw the video. Wise people know that there is much more to what happened that day than what you saw on that video. There were four men that held him down or were there. A Hispanic, an Asian, a white guy, and a black guy. Two of them were rookies. Can you imagine being a rookie, starting on a new job? trusting the people that are around you, scared to death that you're in a riot situation, and now you're in jail for murder. Well, wasn't that a good day? Wise people know something went on more that day than what is being portrayed to us. But on the flip side of the coin, wise people also know that when someone is calling for help, then the right thing to do is help. And nobody helped. Nobody helped. Not the officers. I don't know if y'all thought about this or not. The people taking the video, they did nothing. Oh, yeah, they hollered. He says he can't breathe. Y'all need to let him up. Fat lot of good that did. They did nothing. The officer that had his knee on his neck did nothing. Every last one of them let George Floyd die. Now, what does that have to do with the church repenting? Well, let me ask you. If it's you and me, Christ followers, knowing what the first and second greatest commandments are, knowing Jesus' expectation that we will follow him even to death, that we put aside ourselves, that we wake up every day and take up our cross, that we die to ourselves every day, that we ask ourselves every morning, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? Knowing this as we do, if we had been standing there, would George Floyd be alive today? That's the question we have to ask. Joel says, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
We are, we should be, above all people, the most fearless, the most unstoppable, the most powerful people on the planet. Jesus himself said that if we were to storm the gates of hell, the gates of hell could not hold us back. Now, I don't know what you're hearing this morning from this part of the sermon, but what you need to be hearing is this. We need to stand strong for Jesus in everything we see and do, period. And if there is injustice in your job, and I'm not saying black and white, if there is injustice in your job, in our community, in our church, then we stand against it and we do something and we say something. If there is anything that is unchristlike, we stand for Jesus fearlessly. We got a long way to go, but that's a good word. Y'all pray with me. How long, O oh Lord, will you allow this to go on? How long, O oh Lord, will you allow the heathens to rage in our country, saying that there is no God? How long, O oh Lord, will you allow everything to go on that that pits man against man, woman against woman, child against child. How long? How long, Father, will you allow your name to be besmirched in the public arena around the world? How long will you allow your name to be held up as a parody and for people to say that there is no God, if there was a God, why would he allow these things to happen? Not understanding you're calling us back. How long will you let that happen, Father? And we, your people, want to follow you, but, but we're not sure and we don't know and we're afraid and we've been told and there's all these. Father, how long before you make us that fearless army that we want to be, but we don't know how to be? How long will it be before you act? Lord Jesus in heaven, we do pray for forgiveness. And we want to follow you. We want to take up our cross daily. We want to be those people that if they had been in that situation with no regard for their own safety or their own freedom, would have walked over and said, stop this and made something happen. We want to be those people, Father, but we are terrified in this world. Please embolden your church. Let us see a revival in your church of people who are devoted to a God who controls the living and the dead. And cause an awakening in this country when they see the, the church standing as the body of Christ. Cause a revival, an awakening to happen in this church. where I mean in the world where hundreds and thousands of people would come 
truly repenting before you, truly being saved, not just saying a prayer, but would be changed people and would change this world. Father, do not let your people be lulled into this false notion that it's got to get worse and worse in our lifetime because the end is coming and Jesus is coming and it's got to go to hell. Father, it doesn't have to happen now. Please lift up your people in strength and in power. Embolden us. Let your Holy Spirit fall on us. Let your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Show us, make us, mold us, Father. Because we want it. But we don't know how. We've never been told. We've never heard. We've never. It's, Lord, I didn't hear this passage until today. Father, please. I pray for this people, Lord, as we leave from this place. Thank you for bringing us back here today and giving us a beautiful day. I thought the tropical storm would be getting us by now, but you gave us a reprieve. Thank you, Father. I thank you for these folks, and I pray that they go home, Lord, and that they think about you. Please, Father, we love you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.